Hey there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast, where our goal is to equip you with the tools you need to ditch the prayer guilt, grow in your relationship with God, and pray like you and nobody else. Stay tuned for our latest episode after this quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and I get to be here today with Lisa Apollo, who is the author of Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It Falls Apart. And this story, this message, it's hard, but it's so necessary. And Lisa, thank you so much for just pouring your heart into this book in a way that kind of takes a lot of courage and takes your pain Um and puts it out there for the sake of other women healing. I just thank you so much for doing that. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, stewarding this story. Thanks. Well, before we actually get into your story, we do like to ask our guests what your favorite prayer closet is. Where do you, where do you like to go to feel close to God? It could be off the wall. It could be traditional, whatever. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked this. I love that question because my prayer closet is actually my minivan. In mm-hmm. fact, I have that in the book um, right. that some people have a prayer closet. I have a minivan. You know, I have seven kids. They're not all at home anymore. I've launched some of the older ones, but over the last 10 years, man, I just needed to get away by myself and mm-hmm. I needed re- really to assure that nobody was going to walk through and ask a question or I just need to get something. So that place was my minivan when the doors closed. And, and once, once I kind of started that, you know, it just became a place that I loved. I look forward to going to every morning. Mm -hmm. So did you ever go to the minivan alone and just shut the doors or was it always for a purpose or to put people in and take them places? No, I went in, um, because I was desperate to, um, hear from God. I was desperate to pour out all that was on my heart and in my mind and, and overwhelmed at my need. And I just needed to meet with him. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. And I think we all need that place, whatever it is. And during different seasons, those places change. Some prayer closets become more accessible as you get in different seasons of motherhood or of your life in general. And yeah, but the, the car is it's, always there and it's not far if your kids need you, but that's so good to have that option. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like when I would get up early, um, my kids would get up just as early. (laughs) So, you know, there are, there are times for that, for them to sit and do Bible time with you, but, um, but there are also times where I just needed to meet with God by myself. Yeah. Well, I love that. I remember I, I like praying in the car and when my kids were little, like if I had, I have three kids. And so the oldest would be in school. And then the middle one was a baby. Um, You know, when the kids are really little, you can pray and even out loud in the car. And it's not a big deal. If they're babies, they just do their thing or, you know, whatever, they're not paying attention. And I just remember one time 
my young, my middle one was a baby and he was in his car seat and the other, my older was probably at school or something. And I remember praying and I started praying out loud and he was just starting to talk and he's like, mommy, who you talk to? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess my days of praying out loud are maybe over with, yeah. with a baby in the car. He's, he's a little too old, but it's funny how those seasons change how you talk to God and that it's okay to have those different seasons and those places. So yes. Love yes. It. Well, in your book, your book is called life can be good again, putting your world back together after it falls apart. Um, I love that title because when I've gone through some tough things, when I've seen friends go through some absolutely devastating times, I always think, um, I think back to stories that I've heard of other women who have gone through hard things that are now on the other side of it. And I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, there's, there's a picture in my head of what can happen later, or even for my friends, I think, okay, she'll get to a place a year from now, it'll be this much better because I know someone that's that far along in that particular journey. So I love this gift that you're giving to women who are not only going through the exact struggle that you went through of losing your husband, but many different struggles. This is for anyone who's gone through intense yeah. pain and heartbreak. Um, so would you be willing to share your personal story of loss with us? Sure. Yes. There are a lot of ways that a life can implode sometimes suddenly. Mm. And ours was certainly unexpected. We had no signs, no symptoms or warning. Uh, it was just what I thought was a typical Friday morning. And I woke up to my husband's strange breathing and I wasn't even awake enough to uh, opened my eyes, but I kind of reached my hand out and just nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And, you know, this was not unusual. I, he, you know, he had snored before. And so just to nudge him to turn over, we'd go back to sleep and we'd wake up to his alarm in a couple hours was my full expectation, but he didn't turn over. And as I woke more to his breathing, I realized this was something different. I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately that this was, um, it, it was, we were in a crisis. And so I went into crisis mode. You know, my, our four-year-old at the time had crawled into the middle of, she was sleeping in between both of us. And, um, you know, my children, my older children were on sleeping bags right outside of our room in the living room. They had been there for the night and they heard me cry out, you know, Dan, can you hear me? And the older ones rushed in, you know, I kind of started begin giving, uh, you know, instructions like, you know, Rachel, take up the, take the little ones upstairs, you know, Seth, go get our primary neighbor, Nick, call 911. And the, we began walking through CPR. Um, and the whole time I was giving him CPR, I thought, you know, I, you know, I was both counting and paying attention to what I was doing, but I was also thinking, I am not giving CPR to the man I just kissed goodnight a few hours ago you know, the severity of it just was beginning to, you know, your mind is trying to wrap around these things. Mm -hmm. So pretty soon the um, paramedics came, they right outside of our neighborhood. I did not even get through two rounds of CPR and they were there. And I thought, okay, good. He's in good hands. And, you know, he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and rises, he can't go to work today. Um, but they took him to the hospital and I followed and in the ER, in the ER, it was not long before um, the doctor called me back to that room you never want to go into. Mm. 
and said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and had never been able to revive him. And so that was it. And one night's sleep, uh, our whole life shattered into a thousand pieces that would never be the same again. And not just for me, but for also for our seven children. Absolutely. And, you know, it is I, like, I can't imagine the, I mean, in that moment of trying to accept what had just happened. And then at the same time, having seven children that you now have to gather yourself together to be able to somehow explain it to them. And what happens then? How did you do that? How yeah, there, there are no manuals for these times in life. There are no scripts and um, because they were never supposed to be part of the script. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that God is so faithful to um, give us words and give us his wisdom. And I knew people were praying for us. Even, even that early, I knew people were praying for us because I did have words that were not my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had called one friend on the way to the hospital and I think she had called multiple other friends and word had spread. And by the time I got home shortly after I got home to tell my ch- children that their dad was in heaven, our door just opened and people came, but you know, when you're walking your children through, through that kind of, uh, shattering loss, whatever it is, and it can come through a diagnosis. It can come through a spouse who says, I never loved you and walked out. It can come through a relation. It can come through a huge job loss. It just means a lot of change for the family. There are a lot of ways that life can shatter. I think that it's very important for us to be authentic. And so it's not like I had to be all to get put together for my children. I just, we grieved together. And if I had, you know, they had a lot of questions and the ones that I could answer, I answered as honestly as I could. But if I didn't know the answer, I didn't make it up. You know, are we going to be okay? Yes, we're going to be okay. Your dad loved us enough to make some preparations for us. It will be different, but we'll be okay. Will you die like this? You know, the last thing I want to do is say, of course not, honey, that's never going to happen much Mm -hmm. as we want to say that to be honest and say, only God knows, but you know, I have, I will put into place some things for you. And so just to answer their questions authentically, to, to love them in it, we can't fix their grief, Mm -hmm. but we can shepherd them through. And I think another really important thing is for parents is to keep the conversation open because a lot of times kids just have these huge feelings and these huge questions and they just don't know what to do with them. And so we can keep an open, safe conversation where they can join it. They don't, instead of saying like, how are you today? They're never going to really be able to unpack. Mm -hmm. But if we ask questions like, you know, this is what God was showing me today, or I struggled with this today, or how was school today? Or man, daddy would have loved this or, you know, sharing stories about their dad just kind of kept the conversation open. That is so wise just because I think, I don't know. I think with my own kids, sometimes when I'm trying to get them to open up, it's hard to know where to start sometimes. Um, and just saying, how are you? Doesn't, they don't, it's not that they're trying not to be forthcoming. They just don't necessarily know how to answer that. There's so many different things. So for you to say, 
begin the conversation and keep it going about whatever that loss might be or whatever that change might be. Um, that's so wise just to be sharing and your own things. This is what God showed me today, or I was reading this scripture and this stood out to me. That's so good. That is so yeah. good. And ha- helping them recognize the signs. I think for mm-hmm. one of my sons, he did, he was super, super bright and he got some nationally normed t- tests back and they, he had like gone backward two years and it was such an indication to us of what was going on in his mind, you know, that his mind was so consumed with this loss. And so to tell him, to assure him, it wouldn't always be like this, but that this, this is what grief does to a person and it's mm. okay. And we have to walk through it to be able to move forward. Absolutely. Will you talk in the book about kind of this ongoing conversation with God that you had just even while you're doing CPR while you're waiting to hear news about your husband. And then after just that you have this ongoing dialogue with God. And um, I'm just wondering, did you, did you have times during this process, which I'm, I mean, this, it's not like it ended. I mean, has it been 10 years? Is that what you It has. Yes. But it's not ended. You're still grieving. You're still processing, I'm sure. And, you know, but Throughout all of this, especially in the beginning, were there times when you were angry with God? Were there times where you couldn't even pray to God or like, what was, how, what, what changes did your prayer life go through as you walked through grief in the beginning? Yeah, that's a great question. I was never angry with God and I fully I didn't expect it, but I knew it could happen because I had always heard that that was one of the parts that was part of grief. Mm -hmm. I just have to assume that that was God's gift to me to spare me because there was so much else to carry. There was so many, there was a lot of fear. There were a lot of regrets. There were a lot of, um, there was concern for my children physically and that they would act out in it. There were you know, financial decisions. I was on decision over when I was now all of a sudden having to learn how to be a single mom to kids from four all the way up to 19. I mean, to say I was overwhelmed is just, it doesn't even begin to, to really describe the weight of those kind of seasons. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, I think I was just so needy. I just needed God so desperately that I was in constant conversation with him. Like never before, you know, scripture says Psalm 34, 18 says that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves those crushed in spirit. And, and again, his nearness is it's, it's almost like we don't have a word in the English language to describe his presence and how palpable it is and how, that dialogue was just like to say that I was a friend of God. I just saw it in such rich texture for the first time. Now I had gone through hard times in my life and I had been a prayer and I had heard from God, but to, to just be so close to him and be just knowing that he was he was carrying me, you know, in his hands. Mm -hmm. So I did not go through anger. I did not have times where it was hard to pray. There were definitely times where I didn't know what to pray. Where just the complete overwhelm kind of paralyzed me or my fear paralyzed me. And, you know, scripture also says that the spirit intercedes for us when, you know, when we have groans too deep for words. And I know that happens. A lot of times I would get in my minivan 
And I would just try to unpack all the hard emotions and hard questions that were just a big mixed up, you know, pile in my mind swirling around. I would journal it out or cry it out. And that was kind of the place where I could just every day, you know, unburden my own heart, give it to the Lord, get into scripture, be reminded of who he is and his promises and have enough hope to go back in and parent my kids for the day. In your book, you say something about how like many days, like your journal entry was, this is too hard. I can't do this. That that was your sentiment to God at the beginning of all of it. Um, So how, what would you say? There's this saying out there that you mentioned in the book and, and, you know, uh, don't necessarily agree with that. God never gives you more than you can handle. So what, what do you have to say about that sentiment of, Oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah. I think many of us have been in places where we have been at the end of ourselves, even mm-hmm. in normal I air quotes, parenting, we can yes. find ourselves stretched past our own patience and wisdom and Every insight, <laughs> right? And so God did not create us to be able to handle the, you know, life. Mm. And he really created us for a relationship of dependence, a hundred percent, not just a few things, not just a couple areas, not just on those days where it's too much for us, but to be a hundred percent dependent on him. And, you know, when, when we get to these times in life where we have shattering loss or these unexpected, just sudden implosions they really remind us that control and our own ability were all a myth, you know, yes. all along oh, yeah. and that, um, as uncomfortable as it can be to not be in control, that it's the right place to be, to be completely dependent on God. And so it's a paradox because at, at, on the one hand, it's very painful to be in this place where things feel out of control. And yet we know we are resting in the hands of a faithful God who has got what we, what we don't, and we have to draw on his grace every day. We just wanted to take a quick break to share about a sponsor of today's episode, Faithful Counseling. Let's face it, life can be hard. It's so important to show up for yourself and your loved ones through all of the struggles life can bring. One way you can do this is by checking in regularly with a Christian therapist. We know not everyone has the time or the money for in-person therapy, but thanks to Faithful Counseling, Christian therapy can be accessible to anyone. You can speak to your counselor by video, phone, or text. Scheduling is so easy, and financial aid is available. I recently started using Faithful Counseling myself, and I admit I had never been to a therapist, and I was kind of nervous about the process but I was shocked at how easy it was to get started, how convenient it is to communicate with my counselor and how easy she is to talk to. We would love for you to find out for yourself how beneficial Christian counseling can be. So our sponsor, Faithful Counseling, is offering you 10% off your first month when you use our special link at faithfulcounseling.com slash praying. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, you also talk in the book about the importance of bringing all of your emotions to God. I mean, you touched on this in just being authentic with your kids and not feeling like you have to have it all together. But like in a relationship with God, you know, you talk about bringing it all to him rather than trying to kind of clean yourself up before you come to him. Um, And you talk about lament, which I love too. Can you just expound on that a little bit and the importance of being transparent and taking it all to him? Yes. What do we do with the hard emotions of shattering loss? Because they're too much for us to carry. You know, we have things like despair and, and anger, like you mentioned, regret and fear and loneliness, sadness, just all of this. And God very practically gives us a way, a model in scripture. And I really was doing this before I realized that it is called lament and that the Bible is all throughout the word. But what, what a comfort to know that God doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up or to carry it on our own, but he invites us to bring our emotions to him. And, you know, I think our culture uh, is not really good with handling these hard emotions. I think they unsettle us. And I think they unsettle other people Mm -hmm. and, um, but they don't unsettle God. They don't surprise him or put him off. He created us. And when he created us fearfully and wonderfully, that included our emotions. And so he invites us to take our hard emotions to him. And we see this, especially in the Psalms where David, for instance, is, um, kind of perplexed over the injustice of what's going on. He's, Uh, running for his life. He's, um, he's fearful, all these different emotions. And he brings all that emotion to God and lays it before God. But then he always ends with this, but I trust you. Yes. And so there's this exchange, like here is this emotion that is too big for me that I don't understand. And then, but I trust you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is even more powerful than just acknowledging God for who he is as great is saying it's, it's a sacrifice to say I'm hurting and this really stinks. And I I don't even know what to do right now because I'm in so much pain, but I love you. And I know you love me and you are still good and you are still God. And to praise him in spite of that, like, I just feel like there's something so just raw about that. And, you know, I, I was reading recently about the physical act of crying and, and physically grieving. And I think of other cultures that have more of a, it's normalized to wail in the Bible. There's wailing, there's rending of garments and ripping of clothing, you know, and there's like this like there was a whole culture of grief surrounding loss that was very open and very vocal and physical. And I was reading about the act of, of physical, the physical manifestation of grief, specifically crying and wailing, and that there is actually physiologically healing that takes place in your brain and in your body. When you do those things that there are hormones released and things that actually help your body to become healthier in that high stress, high grief setting. And so 
I'm not, everyone's different. I'm not saying everyone needs to wail and rip your garments, but just the act of crying out to God, I think in prayer, just knowing that it's okay if your tears are your prayers by just crying and, and wailing, it's okay. Um, and I think that that's, that's so good. And you really talk about that a lot in your book of that importance of taking it all to God and not feeling like you have to, you know, be prim and proper in his presence all the yeah. time. Cause he I mean, knows. yes. And Jesus modeled this. You're right. I mean, it's not just You're others, right. but, but yes. Christ modeled this before yes. the cross. You talk mm-hmm. about that wailing. It yes. was, it was a hard crying out to God, mm-hmm. um, over what he was going to suffer. And then of course him crying, you know, at Lazarus's tomb, even mm-hmm. though he knew he would raise them him from yeah. the tomb yeah. and, and, but crying and weeping with those who were weeping. Yes. Yeah. I, I forgot that small detail that Jesus <laughs> modeled that for us and yeah. even crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? And yeah. the, the tears that turned to blood in Gethsemane. I mean, there's so much to attest to that being important. So you touched on this a little bit earlier about your kids and their questions about, well, this bad thing happened. So now, like, especially in the lives of children, that realization that something devastating can happen to me and to someone that I love, can more things like this happen? Um, So in your book, you talk about how when you go through something so hard, it can open the door to fear. Can you talk about that, how it maybe played out in your life or the lives of your kids and, you know, how you moved forward past that and how you can move on in, in the face of crippling fear. And you're right because fear will cripple us. And wouldn't the enemy love that just to keep Mm -hmm. us just paralyzed and stuck with this fear. Yes. I realized early on that I was parenting out of fear Mm-hmm. that it was kind of a vice grip on my thoughts and I wasn't able to make decisions well. And I knew I had to get a handle on it. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I was going to have to get a handle on it if I was going to move forward. And I had very real fears. They weren't far-fetched. I mean, I was, I knew other children who had suffered deep losses and had really struggled in their response. And I, you know, we were a one income family and that income was gone and how is God going to provide for a family of eight now, you know, without that income, I had fears for my children's health. You know, there was something underlying that their dad had, and that now meant that they would um, need to be able need to deal with this. So there were a lot of different fears, but I was having coffee with a friend one day, very early on. And I was just kind of telling her how fearful I was. And she said, I know this one. And she shared with me a scripture, second Corinthians 10, five. Now she also has, is dealing with something hard. She has a chronic diagnosis that is progressive and she'd been dealing with it for at that point, a couple decades. And so she had very much dealt with fear herself. And she said, uh, so second Corinthians 10, five says that we are to take every thought captive to the truth of Christ. Mm. And I began to do that very practically. It was not just like, oh, that's a nice little scripture. Let me hang it on my mirror. Like I put it into practice. And what I would do is when there was a fear that would pop up in my thoughts, you know, take the fear of income for our family, 
the first step is to call out the lie because there's always a lie that drives that fear. Mm -hmm. And so I would call out the lie underneath it. And the lie, of course, is that God won't take, even though he's taken care of me all these years and our family, all these years, now all of a sudden he's going to drop us, you know? And then the second step is to take it captive. I would literally imagine like a lasso in my thoughts, pulling that lie out of my thoughts. And then the third step to replace it with the truth of Christ. Mm. And so we can always replace it with either a promise of God, or we can replace it with his character. And so, you know, there were two things. Number one is that God is faithful. And so he'd been faithful all those other years. It had come through. Uh, both of our salaries at one point when we both worked and then Dan's salary when he was the only one who worked and now God would provide though it would look different, but there's also a promise in scripture. And that is Philippians 419 says that my God shall supply, excuse me, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, man, I cannot tell you how many times I would just lean on that promise and I didn't see it. I did not know how it was going to happen. There's a big gap between, you know, that need and then seeing it fulfilled. But I, you know, as I began to put this into practice, I saw that the more I did it, the less I had to do it because fear what didn't have such a hold on me. And I wasn't parenting out of fear anymore. And I wasn't making decisions out of fear. It just didn't have the hold on me that it did. I love that, how you took that scripture, which we've quoted, You met most people listening probably have heard it at some point to take your thoughts captive, but for you to outline like those steps of calling it out, call out the lie in what you're, in what you're afraid of, because the fears aren't bad, you know, they're, they're red flags to help us know that, Hey, I, I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to this area. That's a good thing. But when it becomes that chronic worry, that cycle of, of fear that, that continues on, um, I love those steps that you can take to really practically do that. And I love that hope that once you start putting that into practice, I mean, it's resist the enemy and he will flee. That's that in action right there is those lies are thrown out. You recognize them. He's the deceiver. So when you stop believing the lies, I mean, he's wasting his time. So that's pretty cool how you were able to just see, see that not only were you able to take those fears as they came and deal with them and beat them into submission to truth, (laughs) but to see it alleviate because you grew your faith muscles and your trust muscles and your truth muscles. That was so that's, that gives all of us hope. Yeah. That's great. The good things that come from hard places, right? Mm, Absolutely. Well, this is very, I mean, my next question kind of is the same as what you just talked about. You know, you have this whole chapter about spiritual warfare and how Satan attacks us where we're weak and when we're the weakest, which it doesn't seem fair, but (laughs) that's what happens is when we're down, it's like he, he zeroes in on our weak points. So, you know, can you just talk about the importance of recognizing when those attacks come? And I know definitely what we just talked about in the form of lies, that's a huge one. Are there other areas that he attacks other than lies whispered or fears that become um, overcoming you or are there other things that you experienced? Yeah, I think Satan's tactics are, are old. You know, he, 
he doesn't have too many tools in his arsenal. And so discouragement, deception, those are all distraction. You know, that wasn't really a big one for me during this time, but I think when life falls apart, uh, you can almost sense the enemy working overtime. I know I certainly could. And it felt like he had gotten his big toe into our family and he was just going to wedge it in and just, and bring destruction. And so I very much had to pray against that. And, and part of it was the fear, you know, that, um, that he didn't have control over our family and that he didn't have control over the outcome for our family. But I just had to take to heart the scriptures that tell us to, to fight the enemy and that it's spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, these situations are kind of messy because maybe kids are acting out or things are going, other things are going wrong. You know, the, the water heater's breaking and the car's breaking down and the insurance company, this, and you know, there are, sometimes it just seems like this trouble comes in spades, you know, and it's very easy to get discouraged or feel like we're being attacked. And, you know, the truth of it is we are being attacked. And so to know that we have a strong defender, that God is our refuge and to call on him and to let him fight, we still have to show up and do the hard things, but to let him fight the spiritual battle of discouragement. Do you have any advice for the woman listening who is, you know, fresh into devastating loss and is listening and like, I really want to do that. I want to show up, but getting up in the morning and brushing my teeth is a victory. Like that's all I can do. What resources she can have to what can, what can she do to try and, uh, and fight that, that battle or. Yeah, I would say call on, I would say call on others to join you in this. And I remember one day specifically, I mean, there were a lot of days like this, but this one stands out and I just was having a very hard day. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to a friend and texted her and said, I'm just having a super hard day. Can you pray for me? And, um, a few minutes later, I got a text back from her. She was with another group of moms and kids. I think they were like at a a co-op in somebody's home for that morning. And they had all stopped their classes. Mm. This is gonna make me tear up. They had come together into the living room. I got a picture of kids on the floor, on couches, on chairs with moms, teens, heads bowed, interceding for us. And, um, yeah, that is how it's done. Mm. It was like, I was borrowing their hope that day when I didn't have it. And somebody just did that yesterday. She texted me. She is a new widow. And she said, I'm having a super hard day. Pray for me. And I, I remembered back and I stopped and I prayed. And then I texted her some encouragement. So I would say that, um, it's normal to feel like it's hard to get feet to floor. We want to just pull the covers over our head and pray this night, you know, hope this nightmare just goes away, or we want to fast forward through it or, or, you know, escape it, but we can't, we have to walk it out. Mm -hmm. God, we will not be the people God wants us to be unless we walk it out. And so, um, reach out to those who are around you and ask them to pray very specifically for you. That's so good. What a great story. (laughs) What a great story. Well, what, um, what would be your message for the women listening who are grieving in terms of 
you know, just the book of your, the, the message of your book, life can be good again. I mean, what, what does that mean for them right now? Yes. So I remember early on thinking, I will never smile again, or actually just questioning, will I ever smile again? Will I ever really have joy that bubbles up organically? Will I ever have a day where I wake up and I'm excited for the day and for that, for a new plan or a new dream? I couldn't imagine it because my emotions were telling me that everything good was behind me. Um, but one day, and this was not early in my grief, this was somewhere in the second year I was in my minivan alone with the Lord. And I either was journaling this out or just kind of talking it out. And I just kind of honest confession said, I don't like my life. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I said that this kind of bubbled up next, and that is that God does not do plan B, you know, I had felt that I was living the leftovers of the life that I wanted and that I was consigned to second best because what I had wanted was now gone. And I realized that God does not give us plan B, that it was unexpected for me, but it was not unexpected for God and that he had allowed it. And as such, by definition, if he had allowed it, then it was filled with as much abundance and good and joy as all the days before. And I, it did not immediately make me just tie everything up with a bow and say, oh, well, I feel all better now, but it did realign my heart and my mind to the truth that this was a very intentional and purposeful chapter two, and it could be filled with abundance. And if I would do the hard work of grief, if the, if the person listening right now is in that place, if you will continue doing the hard work of grief, you know, lamenting. And, and fighting the enemy and um, exchanging those lies for the truth of God's, you know, truth of God, that you will find that, um, that abundance again, and that God will bring you through so that one day you will wake up and you will see, man, I'm excited about today. And I do have a new dream and Mike, we are making it. And it's not so heavy anymore and that everything good isn't behind you. Well, thank you for that, Lisa. Thank you for just giving that hope and that picture to women, to all of us for, you know, every single one of us, whether we've gone through devastating loss, chances are we will. And we need to remember that and get ready for the times when that does happen to, to hold on to that truth. Um, and obviously for those who are in pain right now, that's a lifeline for them. So thank yes. you. Yes. And it can happen in little ways for our children. You know, we can think, yes. man, this is, I wanted something different for my kids mm -hmm. or I wanted something different. It can happen in little ways. And we just need to know God has allowed it. And this is a very purposeful and intentional chapter. Amen. Well, where can our listeners find you online, find your book and find you on social media? The best place is at my site, which is lisaapolo.com. That's two P's, one L. That's kind of the hub. They can find out about the book there. I'm on Instagram at Lisa Apollo, So I'd love to connect there. So yeah, that's the best place. Okay. That sounds great. Um, and how can we pray for you today? I'm going to close this out in prayer and I'd love to know how we can lift you up. Oh, well, I have a son right now who's walking through. Um, he, we're waiting on pathology for a nodule that was taken out and we don't know what is actually being sent off to another spot because they don't know 
the first pathology report came back inconclusive. So we have now six weeks to wait and he's in good spirits, but um, we just want this to turn out well. And I want, you know, I'm grateful for the medical help we've had so far. All right. Well, we will absolutely be praying. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you for joining us. This has been just a really just great, great time with you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and share your story. Thank you so much. You have a great place here and I appreciate the invitation to come join you. Thanks. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for Lisa. Thank you for just the courage that it takes to share such a difficult story and a and and just a painful experience with the world. And thank you for her obedience and just um, passion to offer hope to women. We just pray, God, that you would rain blessing down on her and that you would just take this book and open doors for it to reach more women than she could ever imagine. We pray that salvation would come from this book. We pray that hope would come from this book and that healing and restoration and um, just glory to you, God, would come from this book. Um, We just pray um, for Lisa's family and her home and your blessings to just rain down on her family, on her kids. Um, and we specifically lift up her son. Now, God, we just pray that that pathology would go to the right place, that it would get, um, the proper diagnosis. And we just do pray God that it would be, um, just an all clear and, and that the results would come even quicker than expected. God, I know that waiting is hard, but in the waiting, we just pray that your, your presence and your spirit and your joy, And your hope would just well up in their family. I just thank you so much that her son is in good spirits and doing well. And we just pray for her mother's heart that you would just protect her, God, and that you would minister to her and just give her endurance and strength to wait and just give her even joy as she waits in in being with her family and, and just resting, just resting securely and knowing that you are God. We just acknowledge you as good and the giver of good gifts and just pray your blessing on her and on her son and her family in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the praying Christian women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.